All right, I want to give you guys a, a little look about where we'll be over the coming months, series-wise here on Sunday mornings. And so right now for the month of August, we're back in the Gospel of John. If you remember, we are going through the Gospel of John, and then summer started, and we, we said, hey, we want to take a little break and go through the book of Nehemiah. So we went through the book of Nehemiah together through the summer, which was a lot of fun. And so then last week, we started back in the Gospel of John, and we'll be in the Gospel of John all the way through August. And then in September, we're going to start a series called Countercultural Convictions, okay? You might remember this series because we started it like two years ago, okay? And then uh, we started going through it, and then COVID happened. And since it talks about a lot of these kind of uh, countercultural things that can often be seen as controversial, we said, you know, I don't know if we want to preach these things to a camera. And so we put that series on pause until really next month, September, because we wanted to be able to be in person to teach through that. And we even pushed it all the way to September. So in particular, the NAU students would be able to participate with and, and listen to that series as well. And so we'll be in countercultural convictions for seven or so weeks. We're going to talk about things like gender, sexuality, hell, all kinds of good stuff, okay? And so nothing controversial. It will be great. And so... Uh, so we're going to talk through all that. And then after that, we'll be in John for a little bit again, leading up to Advent. Advent is the four weeks before Christmas every year where we take time to remember the incarnation of God on earth through his son, Jesus Christ. And so then we'll do Advent, and then we'll do a couple one-offs, and then we'll do the Gospel of John all the way to Easter, okay? And then we'll be done with uh, John right before Easter, okay? So that's where we're, we're, we're going over the next few months. I know for some of you that's something you're interested in or curious about at times, that's where we'll be. If you have more questions about that, shoot me an email. So today uh, we're in uh, chapter 13 of the Gospel of John. What's interesting about chapter 13 is the Gospel of John is going to take a shift where it was kind of following the ministry of Jesus and some of the teachings of Jesus, some, some of the things he did over kind of the course of his ministry, which was three years. And now in chapter 13, which is, I think, the final hours, really, of Jesus' life. Some theologians might think it's like the final week or so, and, and there's good reason to debate that based on different things John says in here. But I think it's the final hours of Jesus' life. And John, before he's resurrected, of course, John uh, takes seven whole chapters to just talk about these final hours, these final moments with the disciples, talking to them, teaching them, doing different things. And so we're going to, as we're in these seven chapters, we're going to be really just moving towards the cross, moving towards these final hours of Jesus' life. We're going to see these things that are, I think, that Jesus is going, hey, this is really important for me to teach you guys before I die on the cross. And so today, John chapter 13 uh, is a really famous scene. It's the foot washing scene. It's where Jesus takes the disciples and he washes their feet. Uh, surely, if you've grown up in the church or been part of the church for a while, you've probably, in like fifth or sixth grade, you had to wash your friend's free, feet at like kids' church or something like that. Like, this is, this is something that's re a really famous story for us. And I know I usually lo I love to tell like an opening introduction or illustration to help draw us in, but I, I just, everything I thought of just kind of felt short because all I want us to do today is to look at Jesus and to listen to Jesus, right? It's, it's not going to be a flashy sermon. <laughs> I don't even know if it's even going to be all that insightful. These are bad things to do as a speaker at the beginning. <laughs> but I just want us to look at Jesus and listen to Jesus. 
Because I think sometimes faith in, in, in our circles is treated like kind of this assent to truths, this agreement to all these truths. And that is part of our faith. Hear me, that, that is part of our faith. But I think sometimes we miss that our faith is a lot more like falling in love than ascending to truths. Right? And I, I'm not trying to be, get weird with it and be like, you have to have this romantic, weird relationship with Jesus. I'm just saying that when we look at Jesus, something should stir in our hearts. We should be drawn to him. We should love him more deeply. And so my hope for the sermon today, as we look at this famous scene that no doubt you guys have heard all sorts of preachers preach, my hope is that we would look at Jesus and listen to Jesus. Okay? So how we're going to do this is we're going to go through kind of three little uh, ways of doing this. We're going to look at how Jesus washes. We're going to see who Jesus washes. And then we'll look at his commands about washing. Okay? So let's hop into it. Let's look at the first five verses together again. And this is in particular where we'll see how Jesus washes. So hop with me there. Verse 1. Now... Before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Let's pause there for a minute. So this is a rhetorical question, but think for a minute. What, what, do, you know, what do you know about foot washing in the ancient world? What have you been taught about foot washing in the ancient world? Perhaps what you know is that it was only reserved for the lowliest of servants. In fact, I've read different commentators and different people have studied that time that people were even like, no, this is not even something the lowest servants should do. Like, you do this yourself. Don't have anybody else do this. And then you have other people, other Jewish people of the time who were saying, hey, the only people that should wash your feet should be Gentile slaves, women, and children, which for that person saying that was all the people that he looked down on. Peers would never wash each other's feet. This was not common. It was not common for peers to wash each other's feet at all. In fact, when there, was, there is some, in the ancient world, some examples of a peer washing another, per, another person's feet, it is an example of a great, astounding sort of love happening. D.A. Carson, who, who writes an awesome commentary on John, that if you would love a good commentary that's easy to read for anybody, uh, D.A. Carson wrote one. He says, there is no doubt the disciples would have been embarrassed by what Jesus was doing. Like it would have been embarrassing for them to have Jesus stoop low and wash their feet. It would have been something no one probably had ever done for them. It had been something none of them had done for each other. It would have been something none of them probably ever did for Jesus. So here we have their leader, their rabbi, their teacher, getting down low and washing their feet. As, I, as I, I try to think of, like, a modern equivalent of this, 
Like I was racking my brain to go like, what is a modern equivalent of washing feet? And I, I just couldn't come up with one. As I studied more and more what it meant to wash someone's feet, I couldn't find something in our culture, in our place, that was quite the same. I couldn't come up with something, and that should tell us that what Jesus is doing here is extraordinary, and it's weird, and it's absurd. It did not make sense for their leader, their teacher, to lower himself and wash their feet. Jesus lowers himself. He's doing something none of them would have done for each other. He's flipping the social dynamic completely. Right? Disciples were known to care for their masters, care for their rabbis, care for their teachers. And what Jesus is doing in this moment is the exact opposite. He's caring for them and he's doing it in a way that none of them probably would do it. It was probably really disgusting to them, to ever, the, the thought of ever washing someone else's feet. And yet Jesus is willing to do this. Jesus is purposely taking the lower place. And he's doing it out of a heart of love. Did you see that? I believe it was verse 2 or 1 where it says that Jesus loved them to the end. We are getting a lesson in how Jesus loves This is how Jesus loves them. He lowers himself like a servant, really less than a servant in that time and place. That's what Jesus is doing, purposely taking the lower place even though he didn't need to, even though it was unheard of. He's doing the unimaginable. Let's keep looking at how how Jesus washes their feet. I want you to look really quick at verses 4 and 5. If you have a Bible on your phone, it's it's a good time to bring it up. The person doing the slides will try to pop those slides up. But I want you to look at verses 4 and 5, and I want you to just count in your head, count how many actions of Jesus, how many verbs of Jesus, how many things you see Jesus doing in this foot washing scene. Go ahead, do that. I'll give you about 10, 15 seconds. Did you see? Seven things. Seven things Jesus does in this scene. Seven physical movements of Jesus. He rose from supper. He laid aside his garments. He took a towel. He tied it around his waist. He poured water into a basin. He washed the disciples' feet. He wiped them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Why so much detail, John? I don't know if you guys ever get this feeling when you read the Bible or the Gospels and you go, you know, I could use just a few more details about this particular scene, right? Like all the time, I'm like, I could just use a little bit more, please. I'm very confused. And yet this scene of foot washing, these moments have seven different details, seven different actions and physical movements of Jesus. We can literally imagine what it was like. We can know it down to the detail, what Jesus was doing, how Jesus was moving. John, why so many details here? What's also interesting is John, he probably wrote this 40, 50 years after this, after this event. 
So you're telling me, John, 40 to 50 years after, you remember this? You remember all these details? How could that be? Because John was experiencing the love of God that night. John was seeing God's love physically move towards him and the other disciples. John could not forget that night. He could not forget the details of that night because it was a powerful night of love being expressed to him and the other disciples. And so I imagine for John, those, that moment, that night is like in slow motion for him. Right, you've seen all the rom-coms, and I, I hate to use this example, but you know, there's always a point in the rom-com where they're like, I remember the first night I saw him or her, or it happens in the movie, and everything slows down, and there's like wind all of a sudden in their hair, and they, they see everything, right? They remember it. And, and no doubt, probably a lot of you remember the first time that, that you met your spouse or someone you've fallen in love with. This night for John was so powerful that 40 or 50 years later when he's writing it, he remembers the details of it. It happened in slow motion for him because God was loving him that night. It's interesting too because I think Peter really remembers it as well because in Peter's letter, he, in one of his letters to the church, he actually has this command for the people of God. He says, clothe yourselves in humility. So we just heard that Jesus was lowering himself to that below a servant and he just clothed himself with a towel. I'd be really surprised if when Peter wrote, clothe yourselves in humility, he wasn't thinking of Jesus clothing himself literally in a towel to lower himself in order to serve Peter and the other disciples. This moment was powerful. Jesus is loving them in an extraordinary way. Jesus is loving them in an absurd way. John couldn't forget that night, even the details of it, because how Jesus washes is with great love. Not out of great duty, out of great love is how Jesus washes. God is love. Jesus is love. Okay, let's, go, let's look at who Jesus washes in verses 6 through 11. And this is really just a preacher's trick because it's just another way to look at how Jesus washes. So let's look at 6 through 11. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterward you'll, you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you're clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. Okay, let's stop there for a minute. So who does Jesus wash? The disciples. But in these verses more specifically, there's two disciples that get a a mention. Two disciples we know that Jesus is washing. We have Peter and we have Judas. These two disciples I want to zoom in on and see how Jesus washes them. 
Let's start with Peter. Peter, we can all admit, Peter's just a classic knucklehead, right? He's just a classic knucklehead, and I'm sure maybe Peter would be mad at me for saying that about him right now, but I'll say sorry in heaven. But um, Peter's just a classic knucklehead. He, he is totally embarrassed by this scene. He is uh, kind of always kind of constantly trying to prove himself if you read the Gospels, and he sees Jesus lowering himself for all the others, and then when Jesus gets to Peter, Peter, I think, is probably going, oh, this is a good idea. I'm not going to let him wash my feet. That's the test. Jesus is kind of like always testing us, so I'm going to not let him wash my feet, and so I'm going to say, Jesus, not my feet, right? So I'm second in command now, right? And he says, no, not my feet. And Jesus is just going, Peter, you're ruining my illustration right now, man. Like, you're not getting it. You're, you're not getting it. And Peter's like, just my, not my feet. Please don't, please don't wash my feet. And Jesus says, listen, this is what it means to be part of my kingdom. If you want to share with me, if you want to be part of my inheritance, if you want to be part of what I'm doing, if you want me to be your king even, you have to let me wash your feet. And then Peter, back to back, is a knucklehead again. He goes, oh, okay, this is what we're doing. We're washing feet. We're washing, right? Okay, we're washing. All right, well, then my hands and my head, too. Like, wash all of me, Jesus. Just ruining Jesus' illustration, right? Like, I don't know if you've ever taught something, but there's often that one person, they're usually a junior higher, that will just ruin your illustration, right? You're trying to show them something really important. They're going like, but what about this? And... One time in class, I threw a rock or whatever, like, the thing is. This is exactly what Peter's doing, and I love it. And this is one of the reasons why I think the Bible is true. This is a blooper, and it made it into the Bible. (laughs) Peter is being a knucklehead. He's being really annoying, which is really funny and whatever. But let's be honest. The knuckleheads in your life, the people that are annoying in your life, you move away from them. When they're at your RC and they're sitting on the couch by themselves and you enter the room and there's other people in the room, you kind of act like you're looking for somebody else and then like go in the back of the other room. The knuckleheads in our life, we avoid. Even if we're knuckleheads ourselves. We avoid the people that are knuckleheads in our life. And yet what does Jesus do? He moves toward Peter. He washes Peter's feet. He even entertains Peter's knuckleheaded re- Letting Peter speak and say and just be dumb. And yet, Pete, and yet Jesus still washes Peter's feet. There's also somebody else in view here. And you see it in verse 11 where Jesus says, For he knew who was about to betray him. And it's already in this passage that Judas is the one that's about to betray him. Jesus washes Judas's feet too. Judas is the guy that's about to betray Jesus. Judas is the guy who has been stealing from the ministry already at this point. Judas is the guy that has, when people have shown great love to Jesus already at this point, Judas started to say all these kind of plat- religious platitudes and different things because he was just frustrated about what was happening. Judas is the guy who's about to go out and help the, t- the, the temple guards find Jesus in the middle of the night, jump him, arrest him, spit on him, blaspheme him, slander him. That's what Jesus is about to do. Who Jesus has taken over the last three years and given a new life and given it like the kingdom of God and said, here's what the kingdom of God looks like. 
This guy, who Jesus would consider a friend, is about to betray him, and Jesus knows about it. The Spirit has revealed it to Jesus. And Jesus still washes Judas's feet. You see that? It wasn't the 11 and then Judas didn't get his feet washed. Jesus washed the 11 and Judas's feet. Like I can think of friends I've had that have really hurt me. They've really hurt me in my life and, and have betrayed me. And I can't imagine washing their feet now even, years later, as I wrestle with forgiveness, as I fight for forgiveness, I can't imagine doing something like this for them. The sort of people that see me as an enemy, the sort of people that if I sat down with them right now, they would still see me as an enemy. I can't imagine washing their feet after a deep betrayal like this. And yet that's what Jesus does. Jesus washes his betrayer's feet. You know, sometimes I get puffed up as a Christian and I think, man, I, I've been loving well lately and then I'm reminded Jesus washed Judas' feet too. And I don't know if I could. Jesus' love is extraordinary in this moment. Everyone gets the same wash. Peter the knucklehead, Judas the betrayer, they all get the same wash. They all get the same love. They all get the same experience of Jesus lowering himself in order to serve them and love them. Okay, so we looked at how Jesus washed, who Jesus washed. Now let's look at his commands about washing. There's one really obvious one, and then there's one less obvious one that I want to talk about. So let's go back. We're going to reread verse 8, and we're going to go 8 through 17 to talk through these commands that Jesus has about washing. Peter said to him, you should never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. You are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was about to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Let's stop right there. So there's two commands about washing here that I see. The first command is that we need to be washed. That's what he's telling Peter. And then his command to all the disciples is that we need to wash feet like Jesus washes feet. One of Jesus' last and most important marching orders for the disciples is you need to do what I just did for you to each other. You need to love each other the way that I've loved you. So 
Jesus isn't commanding literal foot washings here, although I think that could be in view in certain ways, in certain situations. Jesus is saying, I have lowered myself in order to love you well, in order to care for you, in order to serve you. That's what my love looks like, and I want you to go out and do that sort of love as well. That's what Jesus is commanding the disciples here. To which we go, yes, love. Anthony, I love it. We're talking about love and Jesus' love and the command to love, and that's really good. And I love, love, Anthony. Thank you for talking about the important stuff. This is so great. To which I go, is it? Is it? Like sometimes I feel like we hear sermons like this. Uh, Maybe I'm speaking for myself, so just pray for me if that's the case. We hear sermons like this. And we go, I love love. I love how Jesus loves. Oh, that's an awesome command. Yeah, we should all just love, especially that person in my RC or that person that I'm married to and, and all these kinds of things. <laughs> and we say, oh, I love love. And then we, sometimes we might even get inspired and we go out and we, we try to love someone by washing their feet, by doing something the Spirit leads us into, that the Spirit's saying, hey, this is probably kind of like what a modern equivalent in your life at least is like washing their feet. And then you do it and then you're like, that was gross and that was disgusting and I had to lower myself and I was undignified and I really didn't like that. And so then in the back of your head, you start going, here's all the reasons why I never have to do that with that person again. We love love until we have to live love. We love talking about it. We love thinking about it. We love looking at it but we don't like to live it. And Jesus is inviting us to live out this love, to lower ourselves in this same way, to wash others' feet in this same way. I told you, I can't imagine to love like this. I can't imagine washing the Judases in my life, washing their feet. I can't imagine it. It seems unfathomable to me. It seems impossible to me. In fact, if I'm honest, there's one person in particular I think of who has deeply hurt me, and if they sat in front of me today, they would just hurt me more if they could. And I, I honestly, as I've been studying this passage, I'm going, could I wash their feet? And I go, I don't know if I can. I don't know if I could wash their feet. I don't know if that's possible for me. This command that Jesus is giving us, is imp- it is impossible. It feels impossible for anyone that's tried to do it. This is an impossible command. And I think it's because I missed the first command about Jesus' washing. That I have to be washed. That I have to be washed. The command becomes that much more impossible because I think I've got a one-up on everybody around me. That I think I'm better than my enemy. That I think my feet aren't as nasty. I have to remember Jesus' first command if I'm going to be able to do his second command. I can't will myself to wash feet the way Jesus washes feet if I don't remember that Jesus has washed my feet. Right? Jesus says, you can't have a share with me, Peter, unless you let me wash your feet. And I think that Jesus might be saying to me at times, Anthony, you can't have a share with me unless you remember that I've washed your feet. 
I've washed your feet, Anthony. I've washed your feet, redemption. And that is the only way that we will be able to do this impossible command. Is if we can sit and remember and be that Jesus has served us in this way, that Jesus has lowered himself for us, that is where we find the power to do this impossible command, not our own strength and will, not from reading this and deciding to do it, but because we remember that Jesus has washed our feet. Jesus shows us that kingdom love, that the love that's in his kingdom, it's rooted in humility. Lowering ourselves. But for us to be rooted in kingdom love, we have to let the king wash us, and we have to remember that the king washed us. So does the command to to love like this feel impossible? It is impossible. Let me help you out. It's impossible. Until you're rooted in the king's love. Our sin is like nasty feet or nasty whatever the cultural equivalent is. And only Jesus can give a washing that lasts, and often we have to go back and remember that he's given us that washing. If we want to love well, we have to remember that Jesus has served us, Jesus has cleaned us. And I think when we begin to look at Jesus' love and his service to us, it will do something to our hearts. It will melt our hard hearts. It will melt the places of our heart that find it impossible to love this way. We have to look at Jesus' love if we are going to love like this. We need to be rooted in his love. Jesus was rooted in his Father's love. Look at verse 3. Look at how he's rooted in the love of his father. It says, Jesus, knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, does what? Rose from supper. Because of Jesus' security and the love of his father, he could get up from supper and begin this process of washing their feet. We need to be rooted in the love of our father and the love of his son towards us if we're going to do this. We have Jesus' love. All of us knuckleheads and betrayers alike have his love. He has served us. He has shown us this great love. And when we remember that, that's when we can love like Jesus. Jesus' love will make you brave. Jesus' love will make you strong even though you're weak. You cry all the time. That's personal. Jesus' love will make it so you can lower yourself in these ways over and over and over again. But only Jesus' love will do that. We usually love out of obligations or preferences, right? We feel obligated to love somebody because we read a Bible verse about it, or we prefer to love somebody because it just is easier that way. Kingdom love is rooted in the king's love of us. Not obligation, not preference, fueled by the love that Jesus has shown each and every one of us. I want want to put up this Tim Keller quote. It kind of fits the sermon, it kind of doesn't, but I just like it, so we're going to read it. Tim Keller says this, If you do not give up, but continue to love the unlovely in a sustained way, they will eventually become lovely to you. The only way... The only sustainable way to love is to be rooted in Jesus' love. 
That's the only sustainable way. That's the only way that you're going to be able to keep loving people the way that he does. And when that happens, you will begin to see them with the eyes that Jesus sees them with. The people that are unlovely to you will become lovely to you because they're lovely to Jesus. And you're so rooted and anchored and centered in his love that you'll be able to express that love to the unlovely in this world as well. This command to wash each other's feet is impossible, but it's what Jesus is inviting our church into. It's what Jesus is inviting everyone that follows him into. What if we were a church known by our foot washing? If it was literal, that would be weird. But what if we were known that we did these things that looked like this, whatever those things might be in each of our lives, if we were known as a body of believers that went out of our way to lower ourselves in order to serve and love and care for people, what if we were known for that church? Instead, I fear we're known to be like the church in America, we're mostly known as kind of like the truth fighters. Like, we're always fighting over truth, right? Like, all your non-Christian friends you went to high school and college with, they watch you on Facebook, like, oh, there's the truth fighters again. Fighting about truth, fighting about the right way to do things, fighting about this, fighting about that. Which is crazy, because some of Jesus' last marching orders weren't like, you know what we got to do? We got to be truth fighters. Listen, in 2,000 years, there's going to be this thing called social media. And you want to express all of your opinions on them, and you want to blame Jesus for all of your opinions. That's what we're going to do. That's not what he does. One of his final illustrations, one of his last marching orders to us, there's a few, not just this, but one of the last things he says is, go wash people's feet like I just washed your feet. Go do what I just did. Church, what if that became a core part of who we were? What if that became a core part of how the world saw us and knew us? Oh, those are the foot washers. Those are the people that love in absurd, extraordinary, servant-hearted ways. What if that's what we were known for? It will be impossible to even be known for that if we're not rooted in Jesus' love. We have to be rooted in his love of us if we're going to be known for that. So church, we're called to live out this command, but don't try to live it out on your own. Live it by being rooted in the love that Jesus has shown you and me. Jesus washes us with great love and care. He lowers himself. He washed the knuckleheads and the betrayers. And then he commands us to do the same, to love in the same way. And the only way we can do it is if we let him wash us. If we realize his life and his righteousness washes over our life and our unrighteousness. That his death on the cross washes over our sin. That his resurrection is a picture and a, a foretaste of what the true and final washing will look for all that believe in him. Let Jesus wash you. And then lower yourself in response to how He's lowered himself to love you and care for you. And then go and wash other people's feet. That's part of our kingdom identity. Amen, church? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Jesus, thank you that somehow this ancient text has helped me to realize how you, through your spirit, have, have done the same for me. 
Jesus, sometimes when I read this passage, I feel like I was in the room too, getting my feet washed by you. Thank you for that mercy, that that this would be my experience. God, I pray for each of us in here today that that would be our experience. Holy Spirit, would you have mercy on us? The, the, the account of it should be enough for us, God, but often it isn't because of our own sin and messed up nature. And so, God, I ask that for everybody in here today that we would leave going, Jesus washed my feet. Spirit, would you do that for us? Would you have that mercy towards us? And then, God, Give us the ability to be so anchored and centered in your love that we can go out and love just like that. God, I also ask, listen, some of us need to repent. Some of us need to turn away from the things that we have been turning towards that are sin or that are ways of life that we blame you for when it's really not the way that you have for us. Jesus, be merciful to us. Correct us. Help us to see where we need correcting. God, we love you and we need you. Please move in us this morning. Amen.